You see where I went that down here too, right? I can't do both. I can't have oh, okay. a call and look at my... Not a problem. So, that was fun. That was fun. He was good. Good uh -huh. talker. Yeah, he was. I like when that happens. And he still has a store. I know. Very cool. Yeah, that's the thing. I, I think that, you know, unfortunately, rents are too high for it. But I think that the number one benefit of a stamp store is the social aspect, the place to go and meet, you know, every other Saturday or something like that. If you can't make it to a stamp club, you go to the store. Mm -hmm. Ah. Ah. <laughs> Hello. It's welcome. A, yeah, welcome. <laughs> it, it's not only um, just to go and shop, though, but um, if the store has a place where you can actually sit down with, with table space, mm -hmm. um, not just like at a counter or something. Is there anything like that close by? Well, Steve Patillo up, or not Steve Patillo, uh, well, Steve Jarvis up Coast, until. Coast Philatelic's over here on. Oh, yeah. Let's give. Uh, Bob Chisholm, a shout out. Baker. Yeah. Bob Chisholm on uh, Baker in Costa Mesa. It's uh, Coast Philatelic, right? Coast Philatelics. They open Thursday, uh, Tuesday through Saturday. And yeah, mm -hmm. I remember being in there many, many times, just sitting around talking. It's a it's a great place to talk about stamps or whatever you want to. be. It's you know, if you're bored, go to a stamp shop. Free, free, free advertising. Yeah, I guess the free advertising. Why the hell not? Yeah. Okay, so here's a shout-out to everybody out there. If you have a brick-and-mortar stamp shop. Or know somebody who does. Or know somebody who does, drop me an email at bluepaper at gradingmatters.com. Again, bluepaper at gradingmatters.com. Give me a name and a phone number. I'll call them up because, uh, you know, it, the social aspect of stamp collecting is something that cannot be ignored. We, we talk about the social aspect of stamp collecting. I collected for well over 10 years and never went to a store. Oh, there's a or Never went to a show. Lots of people. Never went to a club. Yeah. Never mm -hmm. talked to anybody about it. I just collected. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I completely missed out on that aspect of the hobby. And I dealt mostly with mail order companies like Mystic and Kenmore. Yep. And, you know, when I finally got up the courage to go to a show or and to my local club, um, I found the people were really friendly, very helpful, and it opened up a whole new world on top of what I thought I already knew. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, one of the reasons... I, I mean, there, there are people I, who are yeah. basically introverted and don't want to deal with other people, but once you step into it, you find that that the benefits far outweigh... Well, the Any drawbacks. Yeah, the chances of me finding something at a stamp show that goes in my exhibit or something like that is really pretty small. But I love going to the stamp shows for the social side. I love me seeing the people and talking and stuff like that. Well, but not only that, if you talk to people and you tell them what you're exhibiting, now you've got another set of eyes yeah. out mm -hmm. there looking for stuff that might be interesting for your exhibit. Dealers definitely pay attention because they want to sell you something and yeah. make a little money. And other collectors, if they find your topic interesting, will remember it. And if they spot something, they might say, hey. Well, this is uh, – nobody is going to know what we're exactly we're talking about until you hit about minute number 15 of this podcast. 
<laughs> so uh, let's count it down and get started so that they can hear what we're talking about. Okay. Five, four, three, two, one. Hi, I'm Patricia Kaufman, and I'm here today with Confederate Postal History, and you're listening to Stamp Show here today. Look at them, madam. Have you ever in your entire life seen anything so beautiful? I'm sorry, I don't know anything about stamps. This is the gentle art of philately, otherwise known as stamp collecting. Here's a pile of stamps carefully culled from swap meets and garage sales. Rufus, what are you thinking of? Oh, I was just thinking of all the years I've wasted collecting stamps. Oh, like stamp collecting. Now, that's all right. That's quite a nice hobby, that. Yes, but it's not enough. Don't you understand? I'm lonely. I'm so terribly lonely. All right, Homer. You beat those stamp Nazis with good old-fashioned American complaining. Homer, if it weren't for you, we'd be at the mercy of weekend philatelists. You know, why didn't you just say stamp collectors? Because I'm tired of dumbing myself down for you. From Spain and two from Japan. I got a couple from Israel and Azerbaijan. I got a planet from Poland, but none from Sudan or from Fiji or Stamp collecting happens when we dream together. Welcome to Stamp Show here today, episode 123. I'm Cash, and according to Twitter, if you drink a gallon of antifreeze, you will never have to buy another coat. True statement. I'm Scott. <laughs> and I'm just stunned at your brilliance. It got pretty dark, didn't it? (laughs) But it's a true statement. It is a true statement, yeah. This is Tom, and I have a question for everybody. What are your thoughts on pineapple on pizza? I love pineapple on pizza. Okay, you have to be very specific. If it's pepperoni pizza, no, that's wrong. Absolutely wrong. If it's ham, bacon, pineapple, absolutely perfect. Let's see what Gordon Ramsay has to say. Oh. Hello, Miss Pizza. How can I help you? Um, I'd like to make an order, please. What would you like to? Um, so, um, can I order ten pepperoni pizzas, please? I've got a bit of a birthday uh, celebration going on. So, yeah, ten margaritas. Ten margaritas. Thank you. Um, let's have um, ten of the pepperonis. How many pepperonis? Yeah, put fucking pineapple on a pizza. <laughs> <laughs> and no okay. pineapple anywhere. Uh, no, definitely no pineapple on the pizza. Thank Wait you. Wait a minute. I, I have an opinion, too. Oh, oh okay. Share. Ho- Hawaiian shirt's good. Hawaiian pizza, not. Uh. <laughs> well, he's right. <laughs> yeah, that's one of my favorite uh, memes is, uh, why did the chicken cross the road? Because you didn't cook it. <laughs> 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 I agree with Gordon. Uh, margarita pizza is okay. I'd never had it until uh, I was out in, at uh, Arapex this year. Never had it till I went to Mexico. Huh. Wait, is it margarita pizza or pizza margaritas? That depends whether you're chewing or not. Oh, I want a margarita. Oh, it's... It's Cinco de Mayo t- get, today. Get on with, get on with the podcast. Cinco de Drinko. Yes. Get on with the podcast. Somebody put us in one of those. Give, give, you're giving me editing to do. I don't want to do it. <laughs> oh, God forbid. Cash has to do work. <laughs> I know. 
Like that's even work. Oh, that bad four-letter word. It's just three more seconds that he doesn't have to spend with it, that he doesn't get to spend with his World of Warcraft. Or World of Warcraft. (laughs) Hey, Cash. You have no one to blame but yourself. You put the question in there, and I told you it was going to start uh-huh. the debate. So let us know. What do you think of pineapple on pizza? And I'm your... Shoot. See, now I'm all screwed up. Yeah, margaritas on the brain. Yeah, I, I was going to say, it's different than any other day? No. <laughs> And I'm your stamp mistress, Dawn. And AutoZone is giving away free blinker fluids, so get on over there. The coupon is available online. I also suggest you check with your manual to make sure you do get the right grade, just in case. Why problem make when you no problem have, you don't want to make? Next podcast, we will have Justin Beard, who is the chief operating officer of Hip Stamp, so that will be a big score. We would have him this week, but uh, Justin and his wife are having their first child. Congratulations. Yeah, he'll be even more tired. Well, yeah. Next also, week. I think Justin's wife is having a child, and Justin is there observing, let's say. Observing and supporting, of course. Uh, observing and supporting. Mm-hmm. Well, let's put it this way. If he's within arm's reach, he's participating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, actually, I just had a flashback. Yeah, I, uh, Megan's dad, I used him as a chew toy. <laughs> Contraction. There's a picture of him holding Megan. She's brand new, and his whole arm is all scraped up from me. <laughs> it hurt. Also, a big shout-out to Han, who we met at Westpex. That's your part, actually, because he talked to you about this. Yeah, he told me that Han is either rooster or chicken in Chinese. Uh, We need to confirm this, but I certainly hope that it's true. Well, Kaz, that would fall into your bailiwick. Mm -hmm. But it is Cinco de Mayo. Should have done it yesterday. Oh, hold on, hold on. You know, I read this today from Brian Metz. In Leicester, England, they started an egg and mayonnaise plant. In what? In Leicester, England. Where? Where? Leicester. Leicester is like on the uh, west coast of England. And it was a very large factory who was just getting started. They were marketing to America. Okay, well, to cut to the chase, the Titanic had a huge, huge, huge shipment of this Leicester mayo on it, and it sunk on May 5th, and that's why today we mourn the loss, and we call it Cinco de Mayo. Don't ruin the Titanic like that. (laughs) Okay, you know what? Somebody actually... Because it sank on like April 14th uh-huh. or 15th. Yes, it are was you, the 15th. Are you going to fact check my joke? No, no. because <laughs> I know the Titanic sank relatively quickly after my birthday, which was April 13th. Yeah, but did it have mayo on it? Not on May 5th. It was already underwater. <laughs> okay, I don't know if you all have seen this. 
But on Facebook, of course, everyone's using the Cinco de Mayo. So, you know, they've got the big mayonnaise jar. Somebody actually put a jar of Miracle Whip, which is not mayo. <gasps> it's salad dressing. <sighs> you ruined <sighs> your own joke. It's all the same. It's no, it isn't. Rotten eggs mixed together because that's what it smells like. Yeah, well, Miracle Whip is not, and that stuff's nasty. Thank goodness I'm allergic to it. (laughs) Mayo and Miracle Whip equals pineapple on pizza. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I just thought the worst thing would be if you had pineapple pizza and anchovies. Pineapple pizza and mayonnaise? (laughs) Miracle Whip. Anyways. Yeah, dead fish on pizza is another another one that I'm not uh, going to advocate no, 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 no. Why did the chicken cross the road? Because you didn't freaking cook it. <laughs> okay. Getting back to the podcast previously in session. <laughs> it's Cinco de Mayo, and I guess I, I'm just imagining I had a margarita. Yes! Well, that too. Where are we? Southern California. Sitting around a table. Yeah. Thank you, Captain's Obvious. This Week in History, on May the 1st in 1901, the Pan American Exposition opened. Other than McKinley being assassinated and Theodore Roosevelt becoming president, there were many stamp collecting items that came from the event. Yeah, we. I love the Pan American exhibition not just because they put out the issue of stamps you know the first bicolor well yes i know what they are i expect some of our (laughs) listeners may not yeah you you oh you have on your desk right now a one cent inverted pan-american why don't you talk about uh the inverts give everybody a little lesson on the inverts yeah. Like, what do you want to know? I Shouldn't mean, you give them some information on the general stamp before you get into the funky stuff? Oh, you give them general information, then talk about why the center is inverted. Actually, you know what a good question is? Why are the Pan American inverts worth less than the C3A inverts? They're less because they have a less cool story. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's all about the story. That's true. The C3A invert was found on the first day of issue by a guy who was specifically looking for that, found one, and ma- it made a big deal. It was a lot of publicity. And it's just cool. It's an airplane on a stamp. And the clerk didn't even know what an airplane was supposed to look like, so they wouldn't even know that it was inverted. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, they might have just looked at it and said, oh, yeah, that's, on the one cent that's pan, airplane. On the one cent Pan American, you have a steamship. Well, I think most people knew what a steamship should look like. Yeah. <laughs> Unless it's the Titanic, then it could have been correct. Upside down. Sinking. No. It didn't sink upside it down. It didn't sink upside down. Uh, oh, here. Th- th- I'm getting totally off the subject. But <laughs> What's new? Like we haven't done that yet today. <laughs> The <laughs> Breaking news, Cash is off the subject. <laughs> Breaking news, has he been on the subject yet? <laughs> what is the subject? <laughs> no, the Lusitania, when the Lusitania was sunk, it sunk in water, so it was shallow enough where if it had sunk 
horizontal, vertically instead of horizontal, the back of its boat would have never gone underwater. That the, is a true the story. The back of its boat? Yeah, the back of the stern of the boat. If the, if the bow of the boat was sitting on the bottom, the stern of the boat would have been outside the water. It was... <laughs> the, water, the water was less than the length of the boat. Anyway, I thought that was interesting. Uh, if you don't uh, write to your congressman <laughs> and say the podcast needs to move on to uh, Pan American Exposition. I think they're cool stamps. It's one of my favorite sets, I think. They are. It's it's not the first bicolored sta- stamp set. Obviously, oh, you're right. There were, there you're were, right. Uh, bicolors in the 1869 set, and there were inverts in the 1869 set as well. Yeah. But uh, the Pan Americans, it was, a, it was a small set, a set of six stamps. The centers are all black, and then the individual stamps have the various frame. The various frames are different colors. And the one set and the two cent were actually... Uh, found to have inverted centers, they were sold across the counter, and are legitimate errors. The four cent was actually printed that way by the bureau, uh, and uh, some of them were overprinted as specimens. And so that's one thing you have to be careful if you're buying one of these four cent stamps. You have to make sure that it does not have a removed specimen overprint, uh, because many of them do. But there are some out there that legitimately do not have the specimen overprint. But they were they were done by the Bureau because there was a rumor that they had been found. And so the Bureau wanted to get ahead of that, and they made their own. They made the rumor true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but then what they did later is they ended up trading some of those away to dealers and collectors that had stamps that were missing from the National Collection. Oh. And so that was a way to fill in areas that they did not have in the national collection basically for the cost of printing basically yes interesting well i do also know that you have to check really hard with the number uh the four center also because sometimes that specimen overprint is in the tessel work on the side so that it's almost invisible it's hidden by the actual design of the stamp yeah it is a it is a uh, very inconspicuous type of specimen overprint and they were hand stamped, so it's it's not a printed ink either. Yep. Well, in addition, in addition to that, you also have the uh, cancels. You have a lot of uh, Pan American exhibition cancels on stamps, and I, for one, like collecting those also. Well, not only were there the uh, exhibition cancels, but there were a lot of advertising cancellations associated with not as many as for the Pan Pacific. Pacific exhibition, which was in 1910, but uh, there were also forerunner cancellations that advertised the exhibition, mm-hmm. and those are also very collectible. Yeah, I have a collection. I do not have an eight center or a ten center, but the rest of them I have. The cancel had a triangle that said Pan American EXP. That exposition, I believe, abbreviated, right? No, no it, it said the whole. Okay, it said. A Pan American Exposition on the three sides of a triangle. And I have all the values with that cancel, which is very, very obvious when you see it. It's a common cancel, but to get the triangle portion on the stamp is less common. Yeah, it's very difficult because it was over to the left, and so it didn't usually hit the stamp. Right. So that's something that I collect. The other thing, of course, is you have a world of postcards, 
that were issued for the Pan American Exposition. And uh, some of the most interesting of those are the uh, see-through light ones. You hold them up to the light, and the light shows through like you'll have a boat. And the windows on the boat will all light up when you hold it to the sky. Uh, I guess very high-tech for the time today. You know, it's like, what the hell is he talking about? It's, you know, it's just thinned paper where the little windows are. And they're kind of cute. Well, I think well, one of the things about that is they're actually notoriously poorly centered. Oh, that's very true. Yes, they are. And and the the black vignettes float all around inside the frames as well. Well, it's created several varieties like the C3 has. Yes. Um, like, on, like on the one ship, the you have a sinking train. ship, yeah. a flying ship, a fast train, a slow train, a fast ship, a slow ship. Uh, it just depends on where the vignette has shifted. Yeah, why don't why don't we go ahead and you know, here at PSE, what do we call a fast train and a slow train? And the train applies to the ships and the cars and everything, but the fast train, where does it have to be? Where does the train actually have to go? It has to go all the way to the edge of the vignette. Yeah, cuz Or I mean, excuse me, to the the vignette has to go all the way to the edge of the frame. The and not just the vignette, but the actual front of the train, the train itself, because there's like ground in front of the train. If the ground touches the edge, nobody cares. It's it's actually got to be the train touches the vignette. Right. Those are very rare. Yeah. Um, usually you see ones that are, are slightly shifted and you might get the train just into the frame. But uh, finding one with the the train all the way over that far is extremely rare. And also the flying and the sinking, too. Those are actually more common. For some reason, the vertical shift was more common than the uh, horizontal shift. I saw an exhibit where a person had made a clock, all 12 positions of the clock, and it showed the 12 extreme positions of the vignette inside of, I think he did the one center. He didn't do the two center. But that was kind of interesting. Have you ever seen a fast ship on, like, the 10 center? No. Me neither. Okay. Just curious. And oddly enough, uh, I believe it's the 5 center seems to have the best uh, registration of vignette and frame mm-hmm. of all of them. Um, large shifts on that one are, are, I don't think I've seen more than two or three in yeah. 20 years. Well, let's see, varieties, uh, overprints, inverts, cancels, postcards, first aid covers. You you can find those, but those are incredibly rare. They're incredibly rare, and you have to watch out for reperforating. You have to remember these were printed in sheets, and um, the they were uh, separated along the horizontal guideline only. So, uh, unlike... The definitive of like unlike definitives like the Washington Franklins, which were printed in large sheets and they were cut both vertically and horizontally into four panes. These were only p- cut into two panes, so they are only cut along the horizontal uh, guideline, mm-hmm. and they were perforated along the vertical guideline. Well, speaking about expertizing, also you have to watch out for the inverts, because you can remove the vignette on the middle, especially on the two center, because the red ink is very, very stable. 
and then you can just send it through a laser jet printer and actually, print a... Actually, you have it the other way around. The black is what's stable. The red is eas- more easily removed, and they fade out the red, and then they print a new border. Oh, I haven't... Hmm. That's, I, that's the more common way to see it. Yeah. The And uh, generally, the ones that we see are altered. The vignette has actually been scraped away, and then they take the vignette from another stamp and they shave it, and they get rid of the the uh, frame, and then they glue it in the little mm. hole where they've scraped away the vignette, and that's how they get the inverted when they fake it. Yeah. That's the more common way to see it done. So if you see an the, invert, make sure you get that sucker uh, into a VSE machine or examine it really good or, of course, just get a cert on it. Well, and some of them are really, really obvious, but I've seen some incredibly well done fakes oh, of the I, inverse. I saw one where where it passed a number of experts and when I put it in our VSC machine, uh, the glue is what gave it away. Well, remember we saw the C3A? Gorgeous, beautiful work done on a fake C3A. It was just incredible how well they did this. But again, you put it in the VSC and people who don't know what VSC machine is, it what does VSC stand for? It stands for Video Video Spectral Comparator. And basically what it is is it bombards the paper with light. And any anomaly that shows up in the paper will show up on the screen. Or in the ink. Or in the ink. And it'll show up on the screen. And it's, it's really, you know... Magic? It, it, <laughs> well, you, yeah. go, you go back to the 1970s. And, you know, you had to look at things with a magnifying glass and dipping it in watermark fluid. And you miss stuff. And there's a lot of stamps that, you know, have 1960s, 1950s certificates that maybe if you put it in today, you go, oh, my goodness, look at that. So, Well, I think the, the experts today are a little bit more aware of how much... Uh, Chicanery. The good word, chicanery. How much, how many shysters there were out there that that were altering the stamps, and uh, their work was pretty good. Yeah. And the guys that are doing it today, their work's even better than that. Yeah, except that the work that they're doing today, the technology for detecting it is so good today that it's really getting tough to fake stamps. It is. I mean, you well, they just came out with the. Uh, and I'm Diswali, Diswali, what's the? Diwali. Diwali. The Diwali stamp that looks good. I mean, they they did the perforation and everything good, but, you know, you stick it in a VSE and it's like, oh, that's as fake as a $3 bill. Or actually, they had $3 bills. $4 bill. Yeah, it's as fake as a $4 bill. The day is coming, you know, we're going to need like a mass spectrometer for looking at stamps. Oh, well, in my opinion, you know, a VSC machine, and one of the reasons why a lot of people don't have it is because it costs about $75,000. That's for a used one. For a used one, yeah. A new one mm-hmm. is like 120 or something like that. It, it, they're, More. They're, they're expensive. And, well, they started with the FBI. It was for uh, detecting counterfeit signatures on checks. And so, you know, Scott was actually the one who, uh, why don't you tell him the story about uh, Collector's Universe and the uh, autograph people using it, and you said. Oh, yeah. Well, we had been using our VSC for 
I don't know, six or seven years. And uh, one of the signature experts, because they were getting into um, authenticating autographs and things like that. And uh, when baseballs became really, really hot, they uh, they were having a trouble with having erased signatures. They would get a ball that had multiple signatures on it. And then, uh, but it would have a good signature on it. And, and somebody would bleach out all of the signatures except the really good one because if you have a solo signature, it's worth more than if you have like a team ball or multiple signatures on a ball. And so we got talking about it and says, yeah, I can, I have this equipment that can show all this stuff. And they said, well, let's take a look. And so they came over and it was an eye-opening experience for them. And within two weeks, they had gotten a UV light because they weren't even using UV lights. <laughs> and they had gotten a, a very uh, strong UV light. And then they, and then about six months later, they had purchased the absolute newest brand new model of VSC that they could get. Yeah. And well, at the time, I think it was the VSC 6000 or something like that. And so they actually had better equipment than I had or more up-to-date equipment than I had. Yeah. And uh, because their model was actually run through a computer and, and all of that, and mine was a standalone machine. So, um, but they were absolutely stunned with what they couldn't see. And uh, daily, I would get a visit in my office to use my equipment until they got their <laughs> own. Yeah, people out there, I mean, if you ever have a chance to come by PSE or something like that, stop on by and we'll show you some of our the equipment used. It, it'll blow your mind as to how advanced expertizing is today versus even like 20 years ago. That the experts today are without, the experts of the past had to do research. We have the benefit of having all their research but also having incredible equipment that they never had access to. I mean, we can, you know, magnify a stamp 2,000 times and put it on a computer, and they never had that ability. It's, it, this is a really cool age to collect stamps in. It's a really cool age to expertize them in, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But you have to remember the vast majority of those Pan American stamps are genuine. Oh, yeah, by far. You're you're yeah. just you're just looking at, at uh, I mean, you might it, have a regum here or a reperf or, there or whatever, but yeah, but that's normal. Um, but yeah, and and it is for the most part. But the um, like I said, unless you're dealing with an invert, which is extremely expensive stamp, um, which makes it a target. The the basic stamps are common enough that that there really wasn't a whole lot of. Uh, work being done on those, you just go find another copy. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, one of the things that Tom you brought up is finding really well centered ones, really high grade, mm -hmm. is very difficult on this issue. They were not, they didn't have good enough margin size, and they, you know, just sort of a little moving around, and you can have some not poorly centered, but just not great centered stamps. Well, with the small margin, I mean, it doesn't take a lot to kill your grade on centering. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's true of a lot of the early stuff that's, you know. It has very small margins. Very small margins. 
Yep. So if you're a, if you're looking for very fine, you, that's a really good find if you can find some. And then if you get them graded and they get 95 or 98, I mean, uh, I'm per, are do are there hundreds? There's some. There are yeah. a few. There yeah. are a few. There are very far between. Few yeah. and far between. Yeah. So finding a gem stamp in it is going to be a really, really tough time. It's like finding a needle in a stack of needles. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's about it. I think we have a phone call we have to make, don't we? If your lips ain't on the mic, you ain't doing it right. There it goes. Don, you can have fun with that later. We have on the phone Charles Berg, who is the president of Compex. Compex is the Combined Philatelic Exhibition of Chicagoland. It is comprised of nine Chicago area clubs holding their individual exhibits under the same roof at the same time. Member clubs of Compex 2017 will present a wide variety of exhibits for the viewing pleasure of all in attendance. Uh, the show dates and times are May 19th through the 21st from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. Friday and Saturday and 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. on Sunday. So, Charles, I, I heard a rumor that you have a stamp shop in Chicago. I am the stamp shop in Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> it's an actual brick-and-mortar shop. It is an actual brick-and-mortar shop full of stuff. Yep. Awesome. Oh, please tell us about that. Oh, this store has been around here for probably close to 40 years, uh, originally started by a guy named Bob Weiss, who I think some of your people will know. And uh, I came to work here probably, in, I think, in 1993, and I've been here ever since. And it fell into my hands about oh, 10, 11 years ago. And I'm trying to keep it open. It's a bit of a struggle, but I do want to provide a place where collectors can still come and look at stamps, face-to-face with somebody who's selling them and maybe bring some children in, which happens every once in a while. Um, you know, it's a, I enjoy dealing with people. That sounds great. I love stamp shops from the social aspect. It's a place to go to see stamps. Yeah, and to make friends. And um, I have made a number of friends at this store which go far beyond the stamp aspect of it so it's been really nice well i guess then it's an obvious extension for you to run the stamp show comp comp yes i've been involved with compex for some decades now i was originally involved in compex as one of the delegates from one of the member clubs and ultimately i've i've been involved in some other show organizations most notably the World Columbian Show in 1992, which I was the head of. I've also been and, and remained the board chairman for the Chicago Peck Show in the fall. But um, Compex is kind of a unique show because it was founded to bring together what had been a number of small shows in the city, and but each of them continued to exist as an entity, and yet 
have a show that was large enough that would be worthwhile for dealers and uh, collectors alike to come to. So we've been doing this. This is our 60th anniversary show, so we're we're proud of that. It's it, Like a lot of shows, it's been a struggle for some time, but we are uh, continuing to do it, and we've got some interesting stuff this year. In particular, we are hosting a 150-frame exhibition from the Collectors Club of Chicago. And these are some top-notch exhibits from high-level exhibitors, some of whom win grands and gold awards. And uh, one of them has even won the Champion of Champions previously. So we're really thrilled to have that. It provides something for people to come and, and see that you might not otherwise see. So, you know, we're pretty excited about that, and I think that uh, the people enjoyed it last year, which is the first year that we had the Collectors Club exhibits in addition to the member clubs exhibits. Um, the the theme of our show this year is the is honoring the United States Armed Forces, and we are very delighted to have some uh, exhibits from Al Kugel, who is one of the key figures in the Military Postal History Society, and a very, very experienced collector, so that will lead off as a introduction to the theme. And we've got some meetings planned. We've got what, the meeting, which is pretty exciting, and I hope I have a chance to go to it. We have some members of the, the U.S. Classic Society who are putting on a presentation and workshop on identifying the somewhat difficult issues of the large banknotes series issued by the United States in the in the 19th century. So this is uh, something novel for us, and I think will be a great help in, to anyone who's able to attend it. Um, when I saw, well, yeah. I saw that in your uh, schedule, and that, I think, mm-hmm. is a fantastic reason for anybody to go down there. Why don't you give them the specific time of that, because... The paper identification of the large banknotes is something that if an intermediate collector learns, they immediately start getting their advanced collector badge. This is a really important thing for philately. So why don't you give them the times on that one? This is going to be a two-hour workshop on Saturday from noon until 2 o'clock. And, um, you know, I'm as excited as you are about this. I think it's really something that addresses an area that's very difficult. So um, the catalog, of course, tells us some details, but you start getting into the specialized books, and then you start wondering, what is it that I actually have here? So uh, it's something that I've been working on for a long time because I started out, I've always collected U.S., but that was not my great interest. And it's certainly become that both as a collector and as, as dealing in stamps, so. Well, you, you brought it up. What do you collect? And, you know, from a standpoint of being in your store, I know you col- uh, you sell the world. You deal with everything. But what's your yep. favorite thing to, let's say, buy and sell for your collection? And then what's, like, in demand at your shop? Well, I probably s- still collect too much because I don't have much time to play with it. But I have... <laughs> That's normal. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think you're right. Um I have had a long-standing interest in the issues of South Africa and the United Nations and 
some of the stuff from Britain and Canada and the U.S. I particularly enjoy working on definitive issues. So if it's if it's got a little bit of difficulty to it, something that I can sink my paws into and try and figure things out, that's what I really enjoy doing. And I've been I started collecting when I was six, and I'm one of the really sort of odd people who never stopped. Mm. The only time that I did not have stamps with me is my the first quarter that I was away at college. But I I corrected that when I went home briefly at Christmas time. <laughs> Um, in terms of what people are buying, this is this is one of the great problems in the hobby now that um, many of the people who come in here are looking for U.S. and some of them are looking for run-of-the-mill, more common things from the 30s to date. But I do have customers who are looking for um, even some rarer items from the earlier period in the U.S. and. Washington Franklin period is uh, an interest to many people. I do have the world in here, and all I need is people to come in and buy some. Why don't you give yourself a plug? Uh, give everybody your address. Okay. The address of Stamp King is 7139 West Higgins. That is on the northwest corner of Chicago, pretty close to O'Hare Airport. And we are very, very close to the exit from the, uh, the Kennedy Expressway that heads from Chicago downtown out to the airport. And also there, there's actually a, a CTA transit stop. So wherever you are is easy to find us. And I just had this past Monday a gentleman in here from, I think, 10 in the morning until about 4 o'clock. He was flying from New Jersey to Winnipeg, and he, he deliberately planned a lengthy layover because he took the CTA line out of the airport, got off a block from here, came in here, and spent every second that he could before he'd go back to catch his further flight. Oh, wow. Oh, that's it. You need to uh, advertise to layover people and people who are stuck in uh, the airport. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I should put some. Well, I should either put some signs up there or if there's, a, if there's really bad weather with people stuck out there, I should just carry a satchel out there and put a sandwich board on. If you get thrown off your flight. Yeah, if you get dragged yeah, off your right. flight, come on over yeah. here. I, I haven't addressed that directly, but it's not a bad thought. <laughs> and and it, I could also say, you know, if you have small children, all the better, bring them along. Yeah. Um, I have I have some people who come in here for, uh, you know, with some small children as young as six and seven, and I really enjoy having the kids come in. I also do handle coins, so sometimes the kids come in looking for coins. Oh, they'll come in looking for things for a school project or a scouting project, and I'm always happy to help them out as best I can on that. Good, good. Well, uh, let me ask you a little nuts and bolts stuff since you are the head of the show. Uh-huh. How do you put a show together? I mean, really, you know, if you could say it in just a couple sentences how how do you get a major show developed and have people show up for it well i certainly i had i'm not doing this alone i have some good people who are helping out and have helped out for a long time and uh, we have picked up one young lady who has been extraordinarily helpful in doing publicity and especially using social media this is 
very important because it is a, a way of reaching people who we would not otherwise reach through advertising in the usual stamp collecting venues. So, but we, you know, we have uh, a lot of things that go on, and there's a lot of responsibilities. Uh, we are holding the show in Arlington Heights in a uh, community education center. So there's, in terms of the, the work that has to get there's everything from dealing with the venue to the U.S. Postal Service, which makes us cancel for the show. There's all kinds of things, security and insurance. And, you know, we have people who help specifically with the advertising and uh, getting exhibits together. Um, I have been dealing with the dealers for Compex because I've, I've been doing it for so long and I do it for Chicago Picks. So there's a little cross-pollination there that it, at Chicago Picks, for example, I will uh, try and buttonhole some of the people who are there who might come to Compex. It's a nice um, spread of about six months for either way, so works a little bit on that. Um, you know, it's a lot of uh, a lot of detailed work, and the president is not only doing a bunch of the work, but overseeing the work that other people have volunteered to do. And this is is very nice, uh, and a good feeling that the work that you have done really produced some results and. Great. Fantastic. Well, the last thing is nobody is going to show up for your show if you don't tell them where it is. So why okay. don't you give the address and stuff like that? Okay. The show is being held at the Forest View Educational Center, and this is 2121 South Gobert Road in Arlington Heights, Illinois. And if you are Googling things, it's uh, the the zip code out there is 60005. We do have a website for the show, and the website is compexstampshow.org. And we have up there lists of the member clubs. If you, for example, are, are a Chicago-area person looking to join a stamp club, we have lists of the dealers who will be participating at the show. We have the schedule of events for the show, so it's a really excellent way of finding out information, including even there's some hotels nearby, there's information on getting out to the show. So I, I highly recommend that as a way of people finding the information that they need to come and join us for this event. Well, fantastic. Thank you very much. Any last little tidbits you want to give people? Yes, collect stamps. It's, you know, <laughs> the, the, the one thing about stamps, and I think this is where we really really all of us need to push is that stamp collecting is a hobby that is really available to people of all ages and walks of life. You can do it on a budget that is almost zero. You can spend millions of dollars. You can enjoy yourself. You can learn so many things. You can meet people. And it's something that you can do your entire life. So I really, really suggest that people come out and try and see what this is about. And as one of some of our ads in the local papers say, that, you know, we suggest people discover stamp collecting. Come out and take a look at it. Well, fantastic. That was great. Thank you, Thank you so much. much. That was awesome, Charles. Thank you so much for being with us. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you. Okay. It's a descendant. 
Thank you for joining us. This has been Cash, Scott, Tom, and I'm your host, Dawn. Continue the conversation at Stamp Show Here Today on Facebook. You can ask us questions, see pictures of the stamps, make comments, and add to the conversation on Facebook. You can also ask the experts your stamp questions at bluepaper@gradingmatters.com. You can listen to all of our past podcasts at stampshowheretoday.com, podbean.com, iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast listening platform. And as always, keep collecting. This episode of Stamp Show Here Today is brought to you by the Philatelic Book of Secrets, the book that teaches you about repurse, regums, color varieties, and much more. Get yours for $10 at www.philatelicsecrets.com today. Hey guys, Chris Fix here, and today I'm going to teach you how to change the blinker fluid in your car or truck. You can see here in my truck, the blinker fluid is about half full and it needs to be filled all the way. Now if your mechanic tries to tell you he needs to service your blinker fluid, guess what? Find a new mechanic, he's ripping you off. Because you could totally do this at home, inexpensively, and this is all you need. Now real quick, before I go and explain all the tools you'll need, make sure that you share this video with your friends because I hate to see people get ripped off and I see it all the time. So if they watch this video, you know they won't get ripped off at the dealership or at their mechanic. Now this is all you need to change your blinker fluid. Return to send up. Return to send up.